Welcome to this week's episode of Movie Magpies, where we will be discussing Surf's Up. I'm Monique with my co-host Will. Let's just get right into it. So, um, I suppose, obviously, very big spoiler warnings because this is our discussion. Um, so we're literally just going to jump around. There could be spoilers in the first two minutes. There could be spoilers 30 minutes in. We don't know. We're just going to yeah. talk. The summary on Netflix is, This Oscar-nominated animated comedy goes behind the scenes of the Penguin World Surfing Championship to get a close-up look at the inventors of surfing. I really like that summary because it really highlights the most important stuff of of the overarching theme of Surf's Up. It even that, manages to get that it's Oscar-nominated. Yeah, well, you always do. If, if you have something that's Oscar-nominated, you always put that there first. I think. That's the selling point. <laughs> Even if he didn't win, my favourite cinematographer, Roger Deakins, he was nominated for 14 Academy Awards. He never won any of them. <laughs> Actually, he won one, but he was nominated for 13 and didn't win any. So ultimately, you always add nominated, even if you didn't win. Anyway, so <laughs> talking about Surf's Up specifically, I really like that it's the structure of this film is that it's a documentary it does a mockumentary style for the movie but it's in this world in the world of surf's up it's a documentary and i really like this format yeah i really love it obviously they call it a mockumentary on like the wikipedia and stuff is yeah specifically just because it's because they're talking about the film yeah, not not actually a documentary. Yeah. Um, but I really like the way that it's done. I think the fourth wall breaks um, are very, very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, the pacing of the movie is awesome. One of the things that I actually wanted to mention to you was, did you ever catch when it was switching from documentary to more just general cinematic movie? <laughs> Well, so I, I could be I could be facetious in my response and go, of course I did. I studied for four years to be able to tell. But my honest answer is actually is yes, but beca- only because it does a really good job of making these two these sections distinct without making them jarring, and I love that mm-hmm. so much because ultimately, if you make a feature length film that's in the format of documentary. You have to have points of cinematic texture, otherwise your film won't have a whole a visual strength. But the way that Surf's Up does this is so visually pleasing because it's only in points that are genuinely reflections on emotion or characters want or need. And it's, it's a perfect way of bringing cinematic elements into it because it's only used for the most important parts. Yeah, I totally get that. I Mm. suppose the reason that I ask is, to me, it was relatively seamless, and it wasn't until maybe the third or fourth time that they do it in the movie that I actually realised it was happening. And then I was obviously able to retroactively be like, oh, okay, so they've been switching between. But they do it so seamlessly. You said Exactly like you said, it's not jarring at all. And I was so engrossed in the movie that I genuinely just missed it the first two times that it happened, you know? Mm. Like, the cinematic stuff is great because you genuinely feel a sense of relation to characters and to the emotion of the film, and it it really lends itself well to those moments, but they're never overdone either. And Mm. so the film has a beautiful uniqueness to it because so far as far as i can tell no other film's done this sort of format where it's a documentary about the film but that's the film itself is the documentary and the story that it's is told through it what i really love about this film is that 
documentary style and the format that's used because it lends itself really well to multiple avenues that are explored within the film and it's not wasted. The format is never wasted in this film, which I love because they could just go, oh, it's a documentary and then like do some lazy exposition where they just have a character in an interview explain what's going on, but they never do that. No. In fact, they turn it on its head and where characters are explaining what's going on, the next frame is usually a direct contradiction. Yeah, it's a contradiction. (laughs) But with that in mind, the the contradicting narration of the interviews is really great, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I love that the biggest points of exposition are done without any narration. And my immediate example of this is when we first get to meet Cody at his home in Shiverpool, which, by the way, I love the name. Shiverpool's just fucking hilarious. (laughs) But they ask him about his dad, and he says, like, no, it never bothered me. But he's got, like, very sort of tense and, like, very, um... Like, his posture is quite down, closed off. Like, he he doesn't just pause. He looks down when he pauses, so you can tell that he's kind of like, okay, you know. Yeah, well, in the film, he's picking out sheets of ice to make his new surfboard and whatever because in the prior scene the uh, Cody's mum had talked about his father passing away and then they ask him so it's all a seamless exploration in the story but when they ask him he goes no he he responds quick as quick as a whip just no it, it didn't bother me but then they hold the shot like you would in a documentary where you'd hold on if you thought something interesting was coming yeah. Uh, and Andy, like, hesitates, looks back to the camera, and then tries to just distract himself with wiping the snow off the sheet of ice. Mm-hmm. At that point, you know that Cody is affected by his father's death. We just aren't going to get a big exposition dump about it. We don't get to hear about how he felt about his father dying. We don't hear about Glenn, his brother, how he felt about his father dying. We hear about his how his mum felt, and you understand that it affected her very heavily, because of course it would, but mm-hmm. it's not her story, it's Cody's story, and Cody's reaction tells us so much, because this is the only thing he's not... Forthcoming about. Yeah, forthcoming about. And it's, I suppose, it's accurate as well, because if somebody oh, came yeah. up to you and was like, oh, did the death of your father affect you in any way? You'd probably be like, um, no, what, what the hell, why are you asking me that, yeah. you know? It's not something that you would just open up to a stranger about unless that was specifically, like, the documentary was about the It was father. about opening up about it, yeah. But I also think if you were similar to Cody's kind of character, especially right at the start, it makes perfect sense that he wouldn't talk about this because to him, it has nothing to do with what he wants, it has nothing to do with his want or his drive or his motivation. His motivation is to be the best surfer. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty funny, because he's like, oh, I'm the best surfer in my area. And it's like, dude, you're the only surfer in your area. Yeah, but then in that sense, is he wrong? No, he's not. It's just incredibly funny. I just I just really love that a lot of like his arc is learning how to surf properly, because obviously he, the way that you would surf in, uh, an, an, in Antarctica is different to the way that you would surf on normal waves. And when I say normally, I also mean like, the heart of the surfing 
Like, this uh, is a very story about looking into what the heart of surfing is. And for him, he's always really liked surfers because his idol, Big Z, told him that surfing was really cool. But I also like that they very seamlessly sort of integrate the fact that surfing on an ice board in the middle of an, the Antarctic is different to surfing on a proper board in, like on a beach i probably am gonna really disagree with you here on this point because i really don't think that that's ever the point of this film of hit oh no i don't think it's the it's point. surfing because in antarctica he can't surf there either we get this uh, interview where he's like i'm the best but he just can't he can't surf he doesn't stay on his board for more than half a second even in antarctica and i don't think this film is about him learning to surf at all because he doesn't learn to surf he knows the fundamentals but there is something yeah, yeah, that he's no, that's, strongly that's what lacking. I, mean. it's like, yeah. I like the way that they show like when he actually gets out first into the ocean that yeah he can surf but he can't actually like he doesn't he knows all the motions but he doesn't actually feel it um it's very yeah for quintessential anime getting taught how to fight and they don't get it until they've done it enough that it's been like ingrained into them it's a very expedited process of that actually but i like the way that it's like oh he can't surf like yes he can he knows the fundamentals but he's not actually listening to what it means to surf yeah his heart isn't in the right place there you go that's what i was trying to get at (laughs) that i agree with absolutely and And i I like i like the way that at first glance it's oh he doesn't know how to surf because obviously there's not a lot of surfing to do in antarctica but it's actually about he doesn't know what it means to surf yeah that that's what i was trying to get across and i think bad at words but and i think for the most part cody's character arc is incredibly strong but very easily missed because there are points in his character arc that are just not focused on but are still clearly visible in the story i think cody's biggest problem right at the start of the film is that just he just doesn't listen exactly and that closes his heart to so much development and strength and success that he doesn't even realize because sure to him he's like the greatest surfer in shiverpool but one thing i found really interesting the earliest sign of him just not listening is when uh what's his name mikey shows up yeah i know which one you're talking about it's when mikey kind of just asks if he can surf but he immediately wants to like prove he can surf yeah he doesn't listen to mikey all mikey's looking for is if this kid can stand on a board on the waves and he's also certain that this guy can surf because he scales down a pile of fish like it's nothing but to yeah. Cody, Cody's thinking, oh, this is, an, this is when, when I need to prove myself. I need to prove myself to this guy, so I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. obviously, in the fact that he's trying to prove himself, he almost misses his shot. Yeah. And the only reason he gets his shot is because he then doesn't listen and goes after them when they're leaving on their whale. Yeah. And the only reason he doesn't fail outright and the film ends is because of his sheer perseverance which is his strongest characteristic which motivates him through the film and pushes him through the story which is great because it's not often where you get a character with such a significant flaw that being he just doesn't listen but then giving him a strong counter to that that being his perseverance yeah he doesn't listen but he also doesn't give up so yeah exactly and i think it's really interesting how those two things flip 
in a certain way where it becomes he becomes the best of himself by the end of his arc. We can talk more about his arc in that the general overlying theme is that Cody's not listening to what's being said, and as a result, something fucks up, and he, yeah. he suffers because of it. He wants to be the greatest surfer, he ends up challenging the current champ because he's being a dick. He ends up embarrassing himself and not being able to go back to the beach where everyone is, because he becomes known as the Wipeout Kid. Yeah, and even then, he doesn't go back and hears that he's the Wipeout Kid. He wipes no. out and then just flat out, like, at, up to this point, we've been shown that he doesn't let things go. Yeah. He just flat out is like, nah, I don't want to do it. Yeah. I made a fool of myself. And mm. you realise that, yeah, he loves, he might love surfing, but does he love surfing or does he love like winning. glory? Yeah. yeah, winning, being the best, um, which is the through line for the movie is yeah. like, should do things for the love of it. Like, yeah, if you're good at it, you can enter a competition, but it shouldn't be about winning. Yeah. It'd be about enjoying yourself and doing something you love. Yeah, absolutely. And through the film, I think we can talk about his story arc in this sense. We'll talk about some other things that are unrelated to it, to this character arc, but I think we'll talk about Cody's character arc first because it's one of the best parts of this film. And we'll also talk about the other character arcs that are connected to it. But as this film goes along, Cody is often presented as quite brash and quick to quick in his decision making. But it's never, it's rarely a good thing. Yeah, he's he's a very close to young adult, but he's still got a very yeah. like teenage. I am seventeen. I obviously know everything about the world. Type of like vibe to him. Yeah, he's overconfident, he's arrogant, I would even say, but he's still a charismatic and interesting enough character where, since he's the main protagonist, we're not like, oh, this fucking guy, why is he our hero? I mean, he can be a bit annoying at points, but ultimately, he's still, he's still likeable, and I think that's definitely great for him. Mm-hmm. He's, he's like a sweet, naive little bean. Yeah. Who's a little annoying. He's a little annoying, most but of he's still <laughs> he's still a good person because even at points, sometimes when he is doing something that is that may come across as arrogant or brash or you know quick to anger, it's sometimes it's yeah, it's sometimes in the defense of others, which is mm. really good of him. Yeah, he's very very pure of heart. He's also just well, he's not pure of heart, but he's definitely well, no, but like when it comes to like a lot of the things that he gets brash about are things that he thinks are like for a for noble, a good cause, yeah, yeah, or a good cause. He's strong um, in his or convictions. A noble reason. Yeah, he's strong yeah. in his convictions, and it makes you feel like he's good at heart, um, yeah. which is why his arc his arc is really really subtle. Um, yes. And it's really easy to miss because when you first meet him, you're like, "Oh, he's a he's a good kid. He just like his heart's in the right place. He's just a little bit stupid." Yeah. Um, but it's actually more about he doesn't listen because he's so caught up in the glory of it. I suppose. Yeah, in pursuing um, glory. To learn that his heart isn't in the right place, which is super interesting because your first vibe when you meet him is just that he's very very excited about surfing even though he lives in antarctica yeah but i also find it really interesting that in this film we're presented quite early on with two mirrors to his character one of which is a almost secondary mirror but for cody one of the biggest mirrors to his 
eventual end to his character arc is Chicken Joe, who... I love Chicken Joe. Everybody loves Chicken Joe. He comes off as the comedic relief, but I think there's so much more to his character than that, because he is... I had a note about that, is that Chicken Joe seems at first to be super dim-witted, like, which yeah. he is a little bit, well, but, yeah. like, he's one of the wiser people in the contest. He's yeah. literally just there because he loves surfing. Yeah, exactly. And for Cody, Chicken Joe is his self-actualized mirror. Chicken Joe, I'm just going to call him Joe. Joe is, sure, he's an idiot at points, but... He knows who he is, he doesn't apologize for who he is, he goes into every opportunity with a with a positive outlook and a intent to enjoy himself, and he ends up in the surfing competition because he has a, a genuine joy and love of surfing that can't be matched, mm. and as a result, by the moment we meet him in the film, he's already self-actualized, so his whole arc is making sure Cody is okay and going on wacky hijinks along the way, which makes him such an interesting and likable character. Yeah, I love him. He's great. I like just the fish sticks. Well, he's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because it brings in a really weird and interesting point about this universe because it implies that both Cody and Joe know what chicken tastes like. Right? That's what I was about to say. Like, the fish sticks of this whole thing about how they're like, oh, eat this thing, and they do, and it's like, oh, it tastes like cheese. Yeah. Um, Because they don't want to say it in front of Joe. But, sir, you're a penguin. Why do you know what chicken tastes like? Yeah. And here's the thing I was going to say, because I'm about to talk about him immediately after, but it's important to this minute, specific point. But Tank doesn't know what chicken tastes like. He takes a bite of a squid stick, and goes, oh, this tastes like shit. Meaning, oh, does he? Yeah, he does. He steals one out of one of the kid's hands and bites into it and goes, oh, this tastes like shit. But then he's censored very quickly before he says, full, like, shit fully. Oh. And it implies that Tank, another penguin, does not know what chicken tastes like. Which means that at some point in their lives, Joe and Cody ingested chicken. And knew what it was. And knew what it was. This isn't my pointless research, by the way, everybody. This is just a point that I found very interesting. I think you're going to love my pointless research because it's quite good. But this isn't it. <laughs> I, With that said, I think I also want to talk about Tank immediately because Tank doesn't have a character arc either. He's already the quintessential version of himself that he's going to be. And yet... And yet he's the bad guy. Or yeah, one of yet the bad guys. Yeah, and he's like the the antagonist. (laughs) But here's the thing, this is why I think this. He is the most that he's ever going to be. He is the quintessential version of himself that he wants to be and he feels that in his own mind he is self-actualized. That can still be for negatives. For a negative gain. Exactly. He's very arrogant, I suppose, would be the word. Yeah, but he fully believes in that arrogance, in that it's, it's all, not misplaced. Yeah, it's not misplaced. It's fully backed up by all of his actions in that he doesn't think he's the best. He knows he's the best. And that's what because makes him different from Cody. the trophies to prove it, even. Yeah, and also that he, he is a practiced surfer who, as he says, popped out of his mum and was put on a surfboard. You know, he has years and years of experience in the right areas. And as a result, he's one of the best surfers on Pengu Island. But his arrogance comes from a place of reinforcement where he knows he's the best because he beat the best 
and because no one can surf quite as well as him, even though he surfs dirty, that's been encouraged because it's led him to win. Exactly, yeah, and it's yeah. been encouraged as well because of our other antagonist, mm. um, who wants it to be interesting. We'll talk about the other antagonist in a, at a later point, because I don't we'll think it... We'll over to him later. Yeah, it, it doesn't pertain to this section of the story arc where because quite early on since joe and tank don't have necessary character arcs i wanted to talk about them early to get them out of the way as we go over we get to meet zeke who also has a quite interesting character arc but i wanted to just jump back a little bit in the story because as you know in this story cody gets to pengu island only just he based on his perseverance and not his surfing skill he challenges Tank to a surf off and loses quite badly because he wipes out right at the start. The waves yeah. the waves are too big, it doesn't matter whatever reason, he just isn't good enough to surf these waves, he just wipes out. And mm -hmm. he humiliates himself pretty much. As a result of the wipeout, he is knocked unconscious and ends up landing on a sea urchin spine. Or landing on a sea urchin. And Lani, the Sadly, the love interest who doesn't really have much of a character arc and doesn't really achieve much other than basically guiding Cody on his way to actualization and then also serving as a love interest. She saves him but realizes that he's not coming to conscious and something's gone wrong with him. As a result, she brings him to Zeke's place, knowing that Zeke yeah. will be able to take care of him. Or solve this mystery of why he's not coming to consciousness and why he seems to be getting worse but this yeah. bring, but I wanted to introduce Zeke as soon as possible because Zeke is the second character who has one of the most interesting arcs yeah exactly yeah he actually to me when I was watching the film until about halfway through I was like oh yeah Cody is the instigator he's sort of um the starting point for the movie but it's to get to Zeke's growth and character yeah. development and, and his think, arc because yeah. a little more, um, it wasn't as subtle as Cody's and therefore it was yeah. easier to pick up on. And that was all I was going to say it's it's more prominent in the foreground of the story. Uh, Zeke's story arc is far more prevalent but I did want to talk about this one point because it actually leads onto our pointless research when Cody lands on the sea urchin. In Surf's Up in this film uh, Cody is brought to Zeke's place to bring him back from unconsciousness. Zeke finds that he has landed on a sea urchin, a fire sea urchin spine, and goes, oh, that's not good. He immediately pulls it out, it wakes Cody up, and he goes, oh, and Zeke goes, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's probably released the poison into your foot. And then Cody asks, what do we do now? And Zeke proceeds to scare him a little bit, of course, because why wouldn't you? It's a bit of fun. But then has to pee on Cody's foot. So this week's <laughs> pointless research pertains to the sea urchin golden shower dilemma. Because I had a question about this. Cody accidentally lands on a sea urchin during a surf battle with Tank. He broke off a great deal of spines as evidenced by the urchin's interview. Because that's also something really great about this film is he lands on a sea urchin and then we don't just get a throwaway line, oh, he landed on a sea urchin, he's got sea urchin spines in his feet. The documentary crew actually go and interview the sea urchin he landed on. 
and the which CIA, is amazing. Oh, it's so funny. I think that's just such a funny bit in the film where he's just like broken, broken, nada, 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 broken, 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 broken. Missing, 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 broken. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that scene, but we we know that the urchin was landed on and annoyed about it. He broke off a great deal of these spines. But when Lani brings Cody to Zeke, we find that a sp that only one spine has actually penetrated Cody's foot. We see that because uh, Zeke pulls it out, and it's the only one in his foot. Zeke says that the venom has entered his bloodstream, and then proceeds to pee on his foot. So I did a little bit of research. As it turns out, sea urchin venom is not actually directly lethal. For the most part, of the 950 species of sea urchin, most only have lethally poisonous organs, so if you ingest the organs, you're more likely to die. However, being poisoned by sea urchin spines actually does have the potential to be lethal if more than one spine penetrates the skin. As we know, Cody only had one spine in his foot, so ultimately it would not have been poisonous, and it wouldn't have been lethal, meaning that at worst it would have caused an inflamed foot for Cody. Additionally, as I've learned, medically the spines would usually be removed from the wound, otherwise the means of treatment would be that to actually leave the spine in, because if the spine has gone too far into the wound and is too difficult to remove, the body actually naturally dissolves the spines of sea urchins. So medically speaking, uh, and additionally medically speaking, the use of urine on sea urchin spines is only recommended when the spine is still inside the wound, because the salts of the urine actually help break down the spine, which means that Zeke removed the spine from Cody's foot and then peed on it, so ultimately Zeke peed on his foot for no reason. <laughs> which I find hilarious, because oh that God, makes I Zeke evil. I love it evil. so much. <laughs> it, Zeke does things like, Zeke's yeah, great. it's kind of everybody knows the sort of, <laughs> oh, if you get stung by a jellyfish or you step on a sea urchin, you have to pee on it. But like, yeah. it makes it seem like they take him to Zeke because he's like the best chance at healing him. Yeah. And then Zeke doesn't really do much in, more except like... Yeah, in an actual and... medical context, he doesn't do anything other than make Cody's foot stinky and maybe piss in a wound, which is probably not recommended, but I don't think it has, has any detrimental health effects. Don't do it at home, though, <laughs> audience. Like, for You're the love of God. Home, kids. Actually, audience, if you didn't know that, if you step on a sea urchin, seek medical help always, of course, but usually it's more likely non-lethal than lethal. Yeah, yeah. there you go. We've learned don't some pee on it. things. <laughs> well, also, not so pointless research. It's not pointless. It actually does have a survival aspect to it, so it's actually less pointless than most of my other research. Also, in my breadth of research, I learned that ultimately you don't really need to pee on jellyfish stings either. So what you do with jellyfish stings, this is actually more just a, a PSA, but if you get stung by a jellyfish, unless it's one of the remarkably poisonous ones that which you should call an ambulance immediately, you actually peel the tentacle off your leg because it usually will detach and attach to your body because it has barbs, and then you wash the liquid off with any liquid, ideally not seawater, but any liquid. It can be pee if you only have pee, but yeah, ideally you wash the venom off. But pee is really useful for for these kinds of wounds, so yeah, don't actually use pee. Yeah, I don't think it's pee. necessarily the most sanitary option that you could go with. Yeah. Um, so back to surfs up. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've all learned something new today. Um, yeah. uh, if you go swimming and you get stung, 
don't panic you probably won't die but yeah so anyway it just immediately though is such like a big tell into what zeke's character will be yeah it's a a really nice introduction to zeke's character he's very much like a very let loose cranky kind of guy but he's not doing it to be mean he's doing it because he literally is just enjoying life yeah and i think we're probably gonna have to spoil the big twist of this film to talk more about zeke's story arc but i feel like it's kind of already been stolen uh well here's the thing this film is came out in 2007 so if you haven't seen it already please watch it it's amazing it's a really good animated film but Zeke turns out to be long thought dead pro surfer Big Z. Do you say Z or Zed? Because I want to say Zed, but I know it's pronounced Z it's in the film. Big Z because his name is Zeke. Um, I just think it's yeah. funny that you're like, oh, it's probably time to spoil the big reveal because actually up until this point he's been called Geek, not Zeke. Really? <laughs> Yeah, he gets called Geek by Lani when we first Does meet he? him, and it isn't until after we find out that he's Big Z that he's sort of retroactively being don't. called Zeke. And even then, I don't think they ever call him Zeke. I think his name is just Zeke. Uh, How have I been... Either... I, I literally only ever heard it as Zeke. Well, the only being... reason... <laughs> yeah, and I that being said, it... I played the DS version of Surf's Up, and, he's... and I think he's referred to as Geek now that I look back on it. I can't remember, but like, yeah. I'll, I'll be talking about the Surf's Up DS ga- Nintendo DS game at certain points throughout this. Yeah, I'm preview. sorry, backtrack, there's a Nintendo DS game? Yeah, there is. It's a racing game. It's quite good, but it's actually not important. Ultimately, the reveal's not too surprising, but it's really nicely done because prior to meeting Geek, I'm not going to be able to say that, Zeke, uh, prior to meeting Zeke, we get to see Big Z's memorial. And it's his surfboard where it crashed and was destroyed in the boneyards, which is like a really dangerous piece of area of like the bay. Yeah, it's got a lot of jagged rocks. Yeah. It's basically if a wave crashes into that and you're on that wave, you're probably not making it out. Yeah, and we're given archival footage of the day that Big Z died, in quotation marks. And it's it's really beautifully done because this is a character we've never met before, but you still feel this intense sense of emotion around him seemingly die. Yeah, but then it turns out he hadn't died. He's actually been in hiding. His name is Zeke. And he chose to go into hiding because he lost... He couldn't compete with Tank and decided to give up. The idea of winning had become so important to him that he would rather go into hiding and fake his death than admit defeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- this is where we meet him in the film, where he's given up surfing and he stays in his, like, hut and doesn't really go out. Yeah, and he doesn't even go near the water anymore. Like, he's yeah. genuinely given up surfing because of this, I suppose, shame that he feels either about the loss or about the fact that winning became so much to him that he faked his own death and ran away. Yeah, and throughout the story, as we get to know him, he forms a bond between himself and Cody. We get to see more and more of who he was and his desire, well, not his desire, his almost unsuppressible passion for surfing, which is a big part of his arc where he's led back to his private beach or not private beach but secret beach through what i actually so the log scene in which they find the log and try to bring it back and then it causes them to go all the way to the secret beach i find that to be one of the funniest scenes because it is just hilarious chaos 
It is hilarious chaos, and I also like how in character it is. Yeah, caused by Cody not listening to Zeke about just dragging it up the hill, as opposed to rolling it. Why don't we just roll it? Immediately rolls it, hits his foot, tries to roll it off his foot, gets the other foot, and then it rolls on the loose. Like it's it's so so funny. It's so funny, yeah, and it reinforces Cody's character in him being just someone who just doesn't listen and then but then we get to the secret beach and we get the connection that zeke is big z cody gets the connection which also i really love is he figures that out himself he doesn't have to be told it he doesn't have to read it off a a tablet throwing subtle shade at our previous review (laughs) but he he figures it out himself it's all there visibly for him but he figures it out himself and then we actually get some of the really really great stuff in the film in where it's all character building but done in a really nice way yeah because there's so little surfing in this section but it's all about learning what makes surfing great and Zeke relearning why he loved surfing and Cody learning that the way he'd fallen in love with surfing was wrong but he can he can if he's ready to admit that he's wrong he can move on to the good stuff yeah which is really really cool and it yeah. sort of um pulls back into my original thought about i love how integrated and subtle cody's um mm. arc is where originally you think oh he's met big z he's gonna teach him how to surf yeah. and what he actually teaches him is like the heart of surfing and like why big like Z yeah. loves surfing so much. If <laughs> if anything, and the film's moral is that the greatest treasure was the friends we made along the way. I know it's so wholesome. This is just such <laughs> a feel-good movie. Yeah, and I really love this because it's just it's really nice and it subverts your expectations yeah. in like a very in a chill good way. way. Like yeah. you don't feel like they've been like, aha, I've tricked you. It's just like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes more sense, you know, type yeah. of thing. And I really, really love the way that I suppose we have gripes with Lani because she doesn't really have much. Yeah, she um, doesn't have a huge do. character arc. She's pretty she much next position at this point. She's, well, here's the thing she's not even really that. Well, she sort of is because she comes in and it's like, oh, yeah, we went all the way down to the beach. And she's like, oh, wow, you got him to the beach. I've been trying to get him to the beach for, you know, years. Her exposition is more just an exposition dump for her own character. It doesn't pertain to the rest of the outside world because you can tell that with Zeke. Zeke hasn't left his shack in a long time. You can tell all this stuff with Zeke's like little subtle characterizations, but then for, but then when Lani shows up, you're like, oh, but how does Lani relate to any of this? And she has to explain that stuff, which is such mm. a it's it it's a pain in the ass because it could have been. It's a little upsetting, still, and it really leads good. to what's probably my second biggest gripe with this movie. Oh yeah, um, which isn't even a gripe. It's just yeah. something that I noticed, which is that Zeke is Lani's uncle. Except they're different penguin species. Yeah, I have a response to that. We were never given any indication that they're blood-related. That's very true. And in in penguin society, well, in penguin culture, uh, it's very often encouraged or known that if a egg is abandoned, then a, a male will take on the responsibility of caring for it. And Zeke is a emperor penguin, which is one of the most community-based penguins. In, in that sense, it's not a huge thing, but I actually do want to bring up a point as well. It's completely unrelated to anything, but I thought 
just like the squid stick chicken taste of chicken thing the archival picture of big z and lani lani's got buck teeth and she's the only penguin with teeth at any point in, in this film, film. and yeah. i find it hilariously terrifying we get one penguin who has teeth and no one ever addresses it because we also see child like child penguins young penguins who don't have teeth but Lani no, does yeah. have buck teeth. And my immediate thought was, holy fuck, Lani had teeth. That's scary. You see, you say that, whereas I immediately went, ah, they're trying to make her stand out. Like, it's just... <laughs> I don't think they need Universe implications, that. it's kind of funny, but yeah. my immediate reaction to the teeth was, oh, look, they're trying to make her more noticeable. Yeah. She's not that noticeable of a character. It's the classic image of a young child is like buck teeth or slightly crooked buck teeth which is fine it's it doesn't ruin the film but yeah her, her character arc isn't really hugely anything she kind of exists as a love interest for cody more than anything else and that's a shame she does though facilitate his growth to his actualized self in a sense in that when they go cave surfing his like in his mind he's only really focused on winning the race and she's like it's not a race don't I like it's it's yeah. a, it's interesting because it sort of goes from oh my god what have you done I'm going to die to hey this is fun to yeah. I'm going to beat you to I'm going to win yeah yeah I'm um, drowning in glow glowworm shit <laughs> yeah. And I really like how that doesn't end with him being like, oh no, I stepped in poo, ah, and like freaking out. Yeah. It like he drags her into it and they have mm. like a fun moment there, which is, you know, super interesting to me. I really enjoy that they took that moment to show that he has changed at least a little bit because he doesn't care about how he appears to people as much anymore in that exact moment. Like, obviously, yeah. he's still working through his arc, but you expect him to be like, what? This is mm. who and like get all like flustered about it, yeah. but instead he's like, oh, very funny, and like drags her into it. Yeah, but other than that, she doesn't do a whole lot of characterization, which is a shame. No. We haven't talked too much about Zeke's uh, character arc. His character arc is more prominent because he is a big figure in this world, and it's his character arc is all about accepting his defeat and not being afraid to fail as long as he loves doing what he does. It's okay to grow old and not be the best at something as long as you continue to enjoy it and never lose sight of what is at the heart of what you love. And yeah. I think that's really well done where by the end of the film it's no longer about hiding from who he was, it's about making sure Cody is okay and letting him know that I'm proud of his growth and of what he's done. And it culminates in this in the final scene where in order to save Cody from the boneyards where he had faked his death all that time ago he has to go out in back into the boneyards and put himself on the line to make sure that he's safe and then return to the beach because it's the safest place to return even though he's terrified of returning to the beach and being seen in public yeah exactly and yeah. it's it's really lovely that the arcs happen simultaneously here yeah where you, Zeke is hiding in the bushes watching him and yeah. Cody can't see that he's watching him, but he is and he's very proud of him. Yeah. And then the second that Cody gets into the finals and starts getting sort of swarmed by people and cameramen, yeah. you see Zeke shrink away a little bit looking sad yeah. while Cody kind of gets caught in it. And then in the... Uh, 
retrospect then, the flip side is Cody gets into trouble and Zeke immediately has to put aside his own sort of... Yeah. And push through to that final part of the arc. And they yeah. both push through to that final part in the arc in like the same couple of scenes because mm. it's Cody giving up the win to save Joe because Joe ends up in the yeah. spiky area. And then it's Zeke giving up his sort of death basically him faking yeah, his his, death. Sa- his safety and secrecy yeah his safety and secrecy yeah. to save this boy that he cares about yeah um, and it's it's just it's wonderful i really like how neatly so it all powerful. wraps up and how simultaneously it all wraps up yeah with cody's arc it's incredible because in the final point in the film when joe comes into contact with tank who knows he's lost he's out of the running so all he can do is make sure the chicken doesn't win or hurt them and make sure neither of them make it back to the shore i assume yeah because he goes after both of them yeah but it becomes in this moment the only thing that matters to cody is saving joe and making sure joe is okay and he could have won cody could have won and he was going to win if he'd maintained his course and ridden this wave the way he was planning on doing it. But winning becomes so arbitrary to him. All he cares about is saving his friend and making sure his friend survives. Not even with the thought that Joe is going to win because I protect him. It's just, i got to protect my friend. That's the right thing to do. And what I also find really lovely and really amazing is that this is reinforced because when he ends up pushing himself and Tank into the boneyards, he's more concerned with Tank's safety than his own. Yeah, like, they're sort of pushing and shoving at each other, and he immediately goes, look out. Tank, watch out, yeah, and Tank's like, nah, fuck you, dog, and then dies, or whatever happens to him. He doesn't die, but he immediately gets, like, smacked against a rock and knocked out and has to be saved by Lani. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really interesting (laughs) that we're sort of spoken about our main arcs and ended up at the end of the film, because... One of my sort of favorite parts of the film yeah. has been a character that we kind of haven't really mentioned, but have, which is Mikey, which is the little Mikey, short boat. Mikey is good. I don't think he has any real particularly overwhelmingly interesting arc. I know he definitely has one where he actually Oh, takes... no, he has an arc. He's just yeah. one of my favorite because he's, like, a little relatable because he's so, like, he works so hard at his job, but obviously, yeah. like is very jaded about it and i just like him as a character he's He's one of my favorite characters especially in this sort of last scene where he turns against the other sort of i would say the main villain reggie yeah red like the 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 manager yeah i suppose the yeah like he's like the manager he's like the person that's uh, asked for the documentary maybe i don't know he seems to think i don't think it's related but he he wants to be in the documentary Yeah, he wants people to see how cool he is for bringing, like, glory to this sport and da-da-da-da-da, which is super interesting. But then, like, my favourite parts of this film are the little bits that don't really have as much meaning. Like, I really love the arcs and I really love watching this movie, but my favourite parts were just Mikey being Mikey in the background and the three little kids that they constantly ask questions about like oh what do you think the winner is and obviously they ask Tank the same question and Tank's like oh I'm a winner look at all my trophies that have said I win and all the kids are like Tank's not a winner when when asked about what makes a winner a winner Tank actually talks about the losers and he's like oh you can't be a winner without losers and I think that's really quite interesting but now that we're on a point about talking about these little things, I thought 
it would be a really good idea to talk about. Unless you have more character-based stuff, I wanted to jump to a technical space where we, for this final part of the podcast, we talk about the very specific kind of thing that I love most about this film. I am very happy to do that, but I do have one question yeah. for you. Oh, yeah, go ahead. What did you think about Tank when he was showing off all his trophies and his mom uh, interrupted? Look, I, I like that scene. It was pretty take it or leave it for me, because ultimately we get a good insight into who Tank is. He's very focused on his, his ladies, but it's also really nice to see that at, right at the end of the trophies destroy the final trophy is like destroyed and that's because the whole meaning of the film is that it trophies don't matter winning isn't the point it's about the love of the sport and stuff like that but yeah like ultimately it's a little odd that he's he's so so in love with his trophies but yeah i just really enjoy it as like a casting area like i said i like the sort of parts of the film that don't particularly matter as much to the story and this is one of the ones that i really really didn't like when I watched this as a kid it didn't really stand out to me and then watching it as an adult a it's just funnier when you understand more of the like adult themes in the movie and b this is actually a meme on tiktok like the sound of him like showing off all of his trophies and calling them ladies and having names for them and I really really love that that like this film obviously was made years and years and years ago but still pops up in sort of mainstream media now yeah because of even the little bits that didn't matter about the film were so funny that they've yeah. made it into other like forms of entertainment with that said i appreciate it in that sense because i feel i really don't want this film to be forgotten i think this film is worth re-watching constantly i don't think it ages that badly i think it continues to be quite rewatchable. but yeah, exactly. yeah i don't know i'm not i'm not a TikToker. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not an old man, all right? First off, I'm, I know I'm going to get these comments. I'm not an old man, all right? He's, he's like a look, nomad in the woods. I don't like, yeah, I don't like TikTok. Well, it's not even that I don't like TikTok. I'm just not on TikTok. And it's purely for the reason that I'm not really on a lot of things. Just because I like to be in my own, I don't, I like to be quite private with my own life, I think. But yeah. If Will could live out in the woods. He I would, in a heartbeat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he would just cut himself out for society and be quite happy out oh, there. Oh, God, yeah. But that's not important. <laughs> We're talking about surfs up. We can talk about me wanting to be a nomad. You It'll know, come up in conversation whatever. multiple Look, times, I'm yeah, sure. Probably. I almost, I'm planning on making a film called Nomad, which is literally just my want to disappear. But it's not important. I wanted to talk about the effort that's put into this animation not motion animation not stuff like that that stuff is all great the the work that they do on the sea and the sand is all incredible but we talk about that at length in our 30 minute review so if you want to hear me hear us talk about the ocean and the sand then you can do that there but the stuff i actually wanted to talk about is that the intention to add immersion to the film because it's a documentary style film in the animation is incredible the level of detail they go to is astounding and i wanted to highlight certain bits of it i think both of us have talked about the grain i wanted to specifically mention that so for people who don't know film grain is created when a camera raises its iso which is the iso is basically a means in which a camera can receive greater light into the sensor or digital enhancement of light and exposure so that the camera can see darker areas in a more lit 
way. That's been explained pretty terribly. Um, <laughs> but basically, ISO is a way of creating more light in a frame where there is very little, but at the cost of raising grain, which are the little, like, moving dots and squiggly dots that you'll see in the background and in, more specifically, darker parts of a frame. In this film, this film has film grain, but in it, it is, the film grain is higher in darker areas, and it you almost sometimes see it raise in darker areas as the camera crew increase the ISO and the level of light that's coming into the camera. And I love that because that is so unnecessary for the film, but is wonderful that it's been added in. Oh, you see, we might have even been talking about different grains because the grain that I was talking about is the sort of like grainy old school feature that they put on like the flashbacks. Yeah, that, that, do that stuff is fine. It, it adds to the immersion of the film. But yeah, the film grain I'm talking about is these little subtle additions within the actual film itself that add this immersion for people who if you don't know about that kind of stuff you're not going to notice it and that's fine but if you do know about this stuff and you see it it's going to make your day and i think that's wonderful other like honorable mentions include there are stage lights used in antarctica in the antarctic scenes and you see the light actually bounce off of cody in a realistic way. There are no flashbacks in this film either. They're like an actual documentary. They use archival footage to note back to, which I, I think just helps with the immersion. There are actually like really specific points that I do really want to bring up, which are my favorite parts. Yeah. In the sections of the surfing competition where we see Cody, Tank, all the characters who are actually surfing in the surfing competition in scenes where they're paddling, the camera changes distortion to a fish lens, and this was- I loved the fish lens. This was because in actual surfing competitions, they attach GoPros to the tip of surfboards. These, the fisheye change is to emulate a GoPro put on the end of their surfboards. Doesn't need to be in the film, but it enhances it greatly because it's there. Another thing that I noticed, which I actually didn't notice on my previous watchings, but in this one I noticed and I loved. In sections in the surfing competition where the camera isn't on the surfboard, but is like a, a mid shot, so a shot in which you can see up to the midsection of a person or character, or two shots where you can see two characters on their surfboards in the water. I noticed a little glint of light off of the filter or off of the lens as the camera turns to pan to a big wave. And this is because it's replicating or emulating a diver cam, which would have been a normal camera, so hence why there's no film grain, hence why there's no fish eyeing but it's a normal camera that's been put in a waterproof casing. The casing cover is plastic, which means it will reflect light differently than glass. Oh my gosh, I didn't even notice that. I noticed that this time watching it through and I, I lost my mind. I thought that was so cool. I am totally, because this is one of those movies that it's really easy to watch. I'm actually totally probably gonna rewatch this. Yeah, even it's worth rewatching. Even week in my own time. <laughs> Especially after talking to you, because here's the I want to, I want to like try and pick these things. Now. Yeah, here's the thing: if people listen to this in-depth version of the podcast and then go and rewatch the film, please let or me know. Tell me because it, it, it will make time. or watch it for the first time yet. But I mean specifically, if they listen to this in-depth one and then go rewatch the film because of this stuff that I've pointed out, 
please let me know because that will make my day. I'd love to hear that kind of stuff. I actually have one final little point, and it's it's so minute, but um, in the night scene in the rainforest where Lani is carrying Cody on her back, the camera crew, of course, they're following everywhere, but they attach a spotlight to the camera, and it has a very different lighting effect than a raisin ISO, because it's a, it's a spotlight, so it's basically like shining a torch, and it has the same kind of light arc, and you notice that in this frame, because it it cascades in a different way that wouldn't be visible if it, the, if it had been pre-lit by the crew. And I love that so much because it's such a tiny little thing, but they added it and it works so well with this film because there is just so much effort put into these tiny little things that most people just wouldn't notice. And that's fine. But if you do, it means so much more. That's the stuff that I love. It's why I love this film so, so much because they've put so much effort into these tiny little things that for the general audience just do not matter, but they keep them in. And if you take the time to learn this stuff or if you know this stuff, this all almost feels personal. And for me, I fell in love with this film because it was the first film I had to really study in, in filmmaking, and I fell in love with it because it almost feels like a personal love letter to filmmakers in this tiny little thing. It's so funny, if someone had asked me when I started doing film, oh, what's the one film that made you want to become a filmmaker or cinematographer, I would have said something like, uh, Pulp Fiction, or I probably wouldn't have, I don't actually really like Tarantino, I would have said Schindler's List or Forrest Gump or one of these like well-established, well-loved films that cinematically are hard to argue with, but now, after I've graduated, I think when people ask me what film makes you love being a filmmaker and come back to doing film, I say surfs up. This dumb little film about surfing penguins, it means so much to me. For, not for the dumbest reasons, but because there's just this effort there, and I, I do love it so much just for that. It's truly a masterpiece just in the way of how much love and effort and care was put into every single frame of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. When I recommended this film to be reviewed, I, w I had a little bit of concern where I was like, God, if Monique doesn't like this, we're going to have our first argument <laughs> on this podcast. But no, it's you don't have to like this film. This is what I say every single podcast. You don't have to like the film. That's okay. I don't, I'm not gonna hold anything against you if you don't like this film, but I do want you to know that I love this film. And if you love it as much as me, then awesome. That's incredible, and, and I'll take that as a great compliment to it, because I love it. Hopefully other people love it too, and hopefully after people have heard this podcast, they might give, think... Yeah, give it a they chance, might I give it a, Give it a chance, or think about it a little bit more, because yeah, that's all that matters to me. It is, yeah. I really, I really love the sort of backstory that you have for your love <laughs> of this film. Hopefully I'll be revealing more of that stuff later on, and I'll talk about it more. Uh, hopefully I'll talk about that more down the line but yeah oh okay yep i get you um i was just gonna say i do in fact recommend to anybody who even if you did watch the film before you came to see like uh listen to us talk about it 
uh, even if it's, you know, in a couple weeks um, or a month or so, come back to this film and, like, think about the couple of things that Will's pointed out from his more professional viewpoint about, like, just the sheer amount of things that they added in this movie that they didn't have to. And it just makes you appreciate the film more. Like, e.g., when I watched this film for the first time, I was like, oh, this is such a cute little film about um, penguins, you know? And I didn't really think much else about it in the time. And when we came back to review it, even before discussing it with you, I immediately saw so much more to the film. Mm. And that's what I really love about it, is that it's enjoyable even if you're not looking into depth in it. But then when you do look into depth in it it stands up still yeah it becomes so much more but with that said i think we should probably begin wrapping up definitely (laughs) i feel like we could talk about this film forever i wouldn't be against that but ultimately just talk about this film forever and i would just sit here and listen to you (laughs) yeah but ultimately uh wonderful audience has other things to do they have another podcast to check out every single Friday. We are now releasing two episodes every single week, one being a 30-minute review and one being one of these, a in-depth review. However, if you've waited this long, you get the hint for next week's podcast episode. Right, of course, our hint. So the, the old hint that hopefully some of you got when we reviewed I Am Mother, our hint to this week's episode was another film where our hero is longing to see the world out there, but their family doesn't want them going against the tide, but instead going with the flow. If you didn't guess, surf's up. Oh well. <laughs> you've, got, you've got this one for next week. For our review next week our hint is another film where the protagonist has a great dream but the world just thinks it's one big joke feel like i may have made it a little bit obvious but hopefully oh who cares yeah this hopefully you'll be able to anyway. guess which i i can't wait to see if you do yeah it is a little more obvious than our other ones but i feel yeah. like that's fun sometimes like to have one that's slightly more obvious and see if there are any um interpretations that we get yeah uh, absolutely but with that said, I think we will close out our in-depth review of Surf's Up. Thanks for listening to our discussion on Surf's Up. This has been this week's Movie Magpies. Catch you later.